kids, you're good. So let's uh, just say a quick prayer. Uh, we want to be praying for Megan's father, who's uh, sick. I believe he's home, though, but he's still he's sick. And also, how many of you guys know Donna? Yeah, Donna's uh, kids, uh, three of them were in a car accident last night. Uh, very bad car accident, so thank God they're okay. But let's just pray for them. So Heavenly Father, we just pray uh, for Steve and then also uh, Donna's kids. I believe Mel, uh, Bryson, and her daughter. And we just pray for them tonight and that you just be with them. Uh, we, you are the great physician. And we are here and there's so much joy here in our church today. And I love it. Praising and this talk about the blood. And it is amazing. But to think today that there are members of our family that are not here. And that they're sick and they're not well. And maybe they are missing that joy. Uh, we just weep with them and we pray for them and we sympathize with them and we ask that you will minister them right at this very moment. The Spirit of God would just shine on them and, and speak to them and comfort them and just uh, speak clearly to them. Anybody else who's sick too, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, so let's open our Bibles while we're standing to Matthew chapter 11. So... Wasn't, wasn't that great? It was awesome. Thank you, Boyette. That's great. Hey, some of us are headed out on Thursday nights. Uh, we're, we're going to Pennsylvania to a leadership little retreat, I guess it's called. So we're going to have a good time out there. Pastor Jason will be there, myself. Uh, Gary's going, right? Yeah, Rich is going. Uh, Steven's going. Some others are going, so... Also, hey, yeah, I don't know. You, you get the microphone, you wonder how much you should say. You know? <laughs> we'll just stick with the Bible, I guess. Right? Uh, Matthew chapter 11, and these are two verses that we know very well, but I want us to approach them as if we've never heard them before, because today we really want to get uh, insights into the heart of our Savior. What is it like? What is, what is God's heart like? Isn't that an interesting topic? We were soul winning yesterday to a guy, uh, Jared was his name, and he had tattooed on his hand, he had love, and then on the other hand, he had hate, you know, and you could tell that he has, um, he, he has had some times in his life that were not so, so good. And we were talking to him about God. You know, the amazing thing about God is that he's not like all these other gods that are out there. And if you look at these other religions, and you look at their God, their God is basically like us, but with superpowers. And they have the same exact, you know, fleshly, you know, tendencies that we have, but they only bet that, but they have all this strength and all this amazing stuff. But do you know what? God is so different. When we look at the heart of God, we see God is without sin. And Boyette mentioned that God is without sin. He is sinless. Jesus was sinless. But it's amazing as we read Matthew 28 and uh, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, that yes, God is sinless. But if God was sinless alone, that would make him so distant from us, wouldn't it? Like, I can't relate to God because he is so you know, perfect. Like, look at the way he was singing. You know, I can't relate to this guy. <laughs> you know, like we, we wouldn't be able to relate to him because he is so distant from us. But let's read Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
And what will God do? Give you rest. Anybody need rest today? Yeah. Hey, hey, Adam, how crazy was your morning? Anastasia, do you need rest today? How crazy is work, Peter? Hey, this is the first time. Let's welcome Peter and Thais Quackenbush. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Hey, they're married. <laughs> you know. You know, you know, in our life, we, are, we have a burden in our life, and God says in verse 28 that he will give us rest. But that's not the message, although it could be. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now listen, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. And you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look into the heart of God, that we look into your hearts, and what do we see? Lord, we ask that you will reveal that to us and you will speak things to us. Give us capacity to listen for these next few minutes in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I was talking with Kevin before the service, and it's amazing because, I mean, how many of us have read these verses over and over again? And we've actually claimed these verses for the day, like, Lord, I need rest. And you claim the verse, right? Like, that's something we can do in our life. We take a verse, like, Verse 28, and we say, Lord, I need the rest, so I'm going to claim and I'm going to like, pray the promises of God that they come true in my life. You know, and those things are amazing. But I always like read this and I, and I think about, Lord, I need rest, I need rest. You know, I'm, there's so much on my life, you know, with work and with this and that. And there's so many problems, Lord, that I need you to come in. But do you know what? You ever stop and think about the reason why that we're allowed to have rest? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like, why are we allowed to have rest? Because the reality is, and we talked about holy, holiness for a couple of weeks, right? And then last week we talked about humility. So the thing about humility is that, that humility is understanding that I am a, you know, very simply, that I am a bag of flesh, <laughs> That there is sin in my life, and that sin makes me small, so therefore I need repentance. You know, I need to go to God and say, God, like, I, I realize that I am small, and I need you in my life. Like, that is what humility really is. So I realize that in my life that I am small, and that I am not holy, therefore, how could I ever have rest? And it's so funny, because the more I labor to go into rest, the more I find myself that I am not in rest. I believe that's the verse too, right? That we strive to enter into the rest of God, or we strive to enter into rest, yet I am without rest. Because if it was up to me in my own abilities, I would find myself never entering into the rest of God. So we ask the question, how is it possible that I could ever enter into rest? And it's that verse right there, verse 29, the very last part. And right in the middle it says, for I am gentle, meaning that he is meek, right? That word gentleness means that he is meek and that he is humble in his heart. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Let's look into the heart of God. This is interesting. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter And this tells us how important our heart is. Listen, listen to this quote. It says, 
The heart's reasoning as well as its feelings depends on the heart's moral condition. Now listen to that carefully because that's so important. So it says the heart's reasoning and the heart's feelings depends on its moral condition. Meaning that if the heart's moral condition is off, that means your feelings and your reasoning, your, your ability to reason is also going to be off. And what do we see with man? Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it says, For within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Listen to these sins. These are, this is amazing, church. I love reading sin. <laughs> it builds me up. Actually, it kind of does because half of these aren't in my life. I just stop at the half that's not in there. And I, I ignore the other half. <laughs> it says, out of men, the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, verse 22, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil lie. Oh, now we're getting to things, you know, that's in my life. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all of these evil things from within, where are they? They are in our hearts. And what do they do? They defile us. Isn't that I mean, that's actually an encouraging verse because it shows that within my own heart, this is where all this evil is coming out. But remember, we are not looking at the heart of man. We are looking at our Savior's heart. So in our hearts, all this evil is coming out. And therefore, my reasoning and my feelings are always off because there is evil in my life. And almost we could say, you know, there is no way around that because I am still human and I am still alive. You know, even when I'm sleeping, I'm still breathing. So there's still that potential for me to have a dream <laughs> where there's evil in my heart. <laughs> and you wake up and you're panicking because of evil that is in your heart. Even when you're sleeping, you find yourself that you can't control these things. I mean, it's amazing. But we're looking at the heart of God. Now, when we look at the heart of God, is there evil in God's heart? I don't want you to turn there because it's a, it's a verse that's maybe hard to find. But in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, Habakkuk says this. He says, the eye, your eyes, Lord, are too pure to approve evil. Meaning, like, God can't look at evil. And he continues and says, and you cannot look on wickedness with grace. Isn't that amazing? Meaning that in in God's life, in Jesus' life, it is in such a state where he can't even look at the impure. That his heart is so pure. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, about the holiness of God. That means that God's heart is without impurities. It is free from sin. And it is free from the effects of sin. God's heart is pure. And he, therefore, is holy. So we look at the Savior's heart and we read that you can't even look at sin. I mean, this is an interesting verse if you read that because it's Habakkuk complaining to God. Like if you are this kind of God that can't even look at the unrighteousness and you can't even look at evil, then why do the, righteous pro the unrighteous prosper and the righteous suffer? And he's complaining to God. But, you know, God kind of answers him if you continue to read. So, you know, don't worry about it. Because it is true. Like in God's life, actually, this is an interesting verse. In Psalm, mm, 
I want to say Psalm 85. It's also quoted in 2 Samuel 22, I want to say. It's a psalm from David. And he says, you know, to the humble, I will reveal myself humble. And to the proud, I will be a destruction. Meaning this, that God's heart is so pure that he can't even look at evil. And then when there is evil, that he reveals himself in destruction because he, he comes down with judgment upon that. And we don't like that verse because we could say, well, I am unrighteous. You know, stop thinking about yourself for a second, okay? <laughs> I mean, we come to church and we hear verses and we, and we want to be built up. I mean, you know, Adam, great job. You know, we were built up because we are elect. You know, well, yes, thank you. You know, the finished work of Christ, the blood of Christ. You know, but all of this is pointing to what? It is pointing to a Savior. See, if we're so busy looking at ourselves and trying to justify or try to look and see, am I pure or am I impure? Am I humble and am I not humble? Am I righteous? Is there evilness in my life and how do I purge it out? If I am so focused on that, what I often find myself doing is kind of like, it, like the sin actually flares up. I told somebody who was you know, having a, a, an addiction problem, I said, stop thinking about your addiction problem and start thinking about God. Because the more you think about not doing something, the more you want to do it. You know, our drive, you know, on Thursday nights to, to Frederick for the Bible study is about an hour and 20 minutes. You know, and then we get here, we have our Bible study, and on our way home, we always find ourselves, like, starving, <laughs> famished. And, and on the ride home, I'm always thinking, like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. 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 And you know what happens? I stop at Sheets and get a bucket of French fries, and I eat a bucket of French fries, and now I'm no longer hungry. But do you know what happened if I stopped thinking about how hungry I was? You know, I wouldn't be so hungry. You know, it's, it's like, so it's interesting how that happens. So stop thinking about self, and let's look at the heart of the Savior, because God says that he is too pure, he can't even look. Meaning that God's heart is so pure. Do you know what? That shouldn't condemn us. That should set us free because of God's purity. Therefore, his reasons and also his emotions are also pure. They're correct. So when I open into the Bible and I read like God, you know, Jesus goes into the temple and he casts everybody out and there is anger in his life. I can therefore justify that his anger is right because his heart is pure. Or how about this, you know, Donna, who's not here, but we're thinking of her and her, her you know, this big car, this car accident and her kids are, you know, scared to death, you know, for a minute there. Well, what's going on with her kids? She can say, and I, I can say that she's thinking this, but God, I know her heart, but God, meaning that she is looking at God and not looking at the situation saying, how could this evil thing happen? What is wrong in my life? You know, you look down into your heart and you say, oh my gosh, what's wrong in my life? There's something that needs to be purged out. Therefore, God is punishing me because I am wicked. No, 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 no. See, she takes her eyes off herself for a minute and says, I don't understand what's going on. But I understand that God's heart is pure. Therefore, the reason why this happened in my life is also okay. I don't like it. It's not good. But do you know what? But God, 
Because there is a reason that this is happening. And we read this exemplified in the book of Job. Over and over again, his three friends and even he himself tried to find out why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And you know what? It always goes back to, oh, there's sin in your life, Job. There's something wrong in your life, Job. There's something wrong in your life, Job. There's something wrong. But do you know what? But God has a reason. God has a reason. And he is pure in hearts. Therefore, I can go to bed at nights. And even sometimes that there are tears when I go to bed. But I do not lose faith in God. Because I realize that he is pure. He is pure. You know what? Today we serve a God who is pure in heart. His emotions that are towards you. You know, the feelings that he has, and we read about them in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? That he loves you with an everlasting love. You know what? That means that thought, that emotion is pure. Therefore, I don't have the right to question the love of God. <laughs> you don't have the right to question the heart of the, the love of God. Because he is pure. And then his reason is also pure. You know what? Whatever is going on into your life today, you know, just realize that God is on the throne. Amen. And he is holy and you cannot shake him. He is pure. He is pure. And he is showering his emotions down on you. He loves you. And you know what? If a little chastisement comes and there's problems in your life, do you know what? Look back at God. Look right back at God and fall on your knees. Because last week we talked about humility in our life. Fall on your knees in humility. And say, God, I need you. I don't know what's going on, but you are pure. I am not, but you are pure. I need you to function, to, to fight for me, to fight these, fight these battles. It is God. It is God. But do you know what? It says that he is pure. Like his heart. It's talking about God's heart. Okay? He is pure in heart. But... In this verse, it says these two words describe the heart of God. You don't read this about, you know, Allah. You don't read this about any other God, you know, Zeus, you know, Odin, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, Buddhists, the Hindu gods. You don't read this about any other kind of authority, but you read it in the Bible. It says God's heart, it is meek and it is humble. And I want us to think about that for a couple minutes in, in closing. You know, we're going to not go too, too long. Or maybe we will. <laughs> See how many of you I can put to sleep. <laughs> Anybody snoring yet? <laughs> uh, that's not, no snoring? All right, if you're going to snore, you've got to come up here and join the band, okay? <laughs> if you're going to make noise, you know, you've got to make noise with the band. And that was Andrew's problem. <laughs> Hey, what's this noise? Uh, thinking about humility, I want to, uh, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Uh, we're talking about meekness, sorry, meekness. You know what, meekness and humility are different, right? You guys know that? Uh, meekness is usually directed towards circumstances in life. Um, it means to be calm, have an, a serene, this, is a, this isn't a word I would use ever, but this is a word that somebody else used. It is a serene temper of mind, not easily ruffled or provoked to resentment. I like that. 
To be meek means that you are not easily provoked to resentment, meaning like situations happen in your life and the situations in your life don't trigger you, all right? That's what, that's what the, the scholar is saying. Don't get triggered by things that happen in your life. Why don't I get triggered by things that happen in my life? Well, because I understand that God is pure in hearts. So therefore, there is a reason that this negative thing is happening in my life. So therefore, I don't have to get angry. You know, Stephen says, hey, you idiot, Pastor Dennis. You know, why do you, you know, he hasn't ever said that. He might have thought it, but, you know, that's between him and God. You know, <laughs> you know but, but you know what? And like if somebody says something to me, I don't internalize it because there can be meekness in my life. And it doesn't provoke me to resent Stephen. You know, Stephen might say something like that. But you know what? My first thought is. Is, you know, maybe he's just hungry. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's hangry. But, you know, the point is, is like we don't know what's going on in somebody's life. So for me to become so resentful because of somebody saying or doing something in their life. I mean, let's read Proverbs 16 and 32. It says, for he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit more than he who takes a city. What is that? that? That verse is describing a man who is meek. That verse is describing a man who is meek. And do you know what? Was Jesus meek? If you want to read about the meekness of Jesus, you can read it in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. And I don't want to like, turn there. But do you know what? In everything that came against Jesus, it says... All the, all the railings that came, all the disobedience, all, all the sinfulness that came against him, he never retaliated. He sat there on the cross as people mocked, spit, beat him, ridiculed him. And here we are, you know, we, we, we live in the age of grace, in the church age, and you know, we still kind of in our actions, disdain him, right? Through disobedience or unbelief. But do you know what? God never responds to us in this way, in anger. He never says, you know what? You know, I'm just tired of, the, of, of this person. I'm just going to come and just like forget about him and let them wallow. And let, you know what? Like God never says that, you know, but he could, he could, right? He could because he is holy, because he is true, because he is the one true God. He could do that. But do you know what the Bible says that, you know, when, when Jesus had the opportunity to exercise his trinity, right? He was part of the trinity. Exercise his godness. He didn't. He remained on the cross. He was meek. God is meek. Yeah, I don't know, you know, yeah. <laughs> there are times in my life where I would just like to come down with a hammer, you know, and, and just make a quick correction, say, here, done. But do you know what? God. God. But God. The last thing is the humility of our Lord. You know, we talk about humility and, and, and um, the traditional view of humility is looking at one's smallness. Okay, that is what uh, like the world would say. That's what uh, you know, the Greek 
philosophers would say. But the, the gospel brings in a new element of humility that never existed. If you do some studying in, in ancient literature and philosophy, uh, Christianity brought this new idea of humility. And it was that I could have sinfulness or I have smallness, but I bring it before God. I bring it before the cross. And there is repentance in my life. And then through humility comes greatness. And we read in James chapter 4, verse 5, right? He gives grace, or is it 5-5? Five, five? He gives grace to the humble, right? So that, what is that saying? It's like, I am small, and I go before God, and I bring him my baggage, and he makes me great. So the question that we could ask is, how could we ever talk about the sinfulness of a Savior for a Savior who is sinless? So how could God ever be humble? How could Jesus have humility? You know, I just, I, I want to read this. I don't like to read quotes too often, especially long ones. But let's just, let's just read this part. It says, in his human nature, he must be the pattern of all humility. Of all creaturely dependence. And it is only as a man that Christ thus claims to be lowly. His human life was a constant living on the fullness of his father's love. You know, it, it previously in the quote, it talks about humility means really submitting to God. And what do we see in the life of Jesus? He submits to God, right? John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father Father do, and whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. But listen to this. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. Look at that. Humility is connecting the love of the father with me submitting to the father's will. And when we look at humility, we can say, you know, am I humble? My, my dad always says, you know, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, right? Because we always associate humility with perfection. Like if I'm humble, then, you know, I don't need humility because I'm, I'm perfect. So here is God. He says, well, Jesus, I, I am perfect. So therefore, why do I have to be humble? Why do I have to have meekness? I mean, after all, I am the one who created the universe. I created the earth. I created Adam and Eve. You know, I, I healed the lame. I, I, I'm going to die for the, the sick in hearts. So why do I have to be humble? Why do I have to be meek? But we see that in Jesus' life that he was the ultimate. I, I love it. He says that he is the pattern of all humility, of all creaturely dependence. That in his human life, there was a constant living on the fullness of his father's love. Constant living on the fullness of his father's love. Jesus was constantly enthralled and being motivated by the way his father loved him. That's what it means about the humility of Jesus. It's not that he had sin in his life and that he had to repent and go to the father. No, it meant that he submitted to the fact that he was a human and that he was completely dependent on his father's love. That's what humility is. And you know what? That's what we need in our life, right? So the Bible says that 
I am meek, that Jesus is meek and he is humble in hearts. Jesus is meek and he is humble in hearts. You know, and that is a conditional clause for us to have rest. You take away one of those conditions, take away meekness, and it just says that Jesus is humble in heart. What happens to our rest? The quality of our rest changes, doesn't it? You take away humility and you just say, Jesus says, well, take my yoke because I am God. <laughs> and because you're my creation and I said to. Right? So you, you, you change the conditional clause, right? And what happens in our life is that the condition of your rest changes. You know what we need to do as believers? We need to stop changing the condition of who God is and realize that God is meek and God is humble. And that is the only way that in my life I am allowed to have, you know, rest, real rest. That in my soul, that there could be peace in my life, that in the midst of a storm, I could stand tall. You know, I could be a Psalm chapter one kind of man that that the heat is coming and I'm still soaking up life from the river of living waters. And I don't feel the heat when it comes. That there's a storm and that I find that my foundation is on a rock. You know, I am this kind of a human being because I, I know that Jesus, he is meek and he is humble. Therefore, I am allowed to have rest. And if you read, and we were talking about this a little bit last night, you know, thanks for the pizza, guys, over at Nelson's house. And we almost went over and knocked on Rich's door and then knocked on Calvin's door. That's why I called you, Calvin. We're right on the street from you. <laughs> we had pizza and then I wanted ice cream. <laughs> That's why he didn't answer. <laughs> but here, here's the amazing thing. When you, when you look at Matthew chapter 11, uh, yeah, Matthew 11, you know, what is happening in the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, the great prophet, the greatest prophet Jesus says that ever lived, the great prophet is questioning the Messiahship of Jesus. In our faith, there are questions, right? And then you read chapter 11, verses 20 through 27, and what's happening. That Jesus was going from this city to that city and doing amazing miracles. And you know what? They never responded in faith towards God. And Jesus is rebuking those cities. And you know what he says in verse 27? He said, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. And he names the city. I forget the name of the city. <laughs> He's rebuking them. Questioning the faith. Verses 1 through 20, you know, 19. Not having faith in 20 through 27. But here we are, little old us, taking on the yoke of Jesus because he is meek and he is humble in his heart. And I take it. And what do I have? I don't have questions in my life. Well, I mean, I do. Right. But, well, you know, I'm trying to say something that I don't have those kind of questions in my life that makes me question the Messiahship and who God really is. I don't live in unfaithfulness like in verses 20 through 27, but I live in response to. To the undying love of the Father towards me that was expressed on the cross. Isn't that amazing? So therefore in my life, I have rest. 
John the Baptist, you don't have rest. You know, all these cities, Capernaum, you know, I forget what they all were. You don't have rest. But here I am. Here I have rest. Am I better than John the Baptist? No. Am I better than any of these other cities where they saw the miracles of God? How many of you guys have seen miracles before? I mean, I've seen a couple small ones here and there. But Jesus was like, you know, people who couldn't walk were walking. Blind people were seeing. I mean, and then he, he would preach and then you couldn't hear a pin drop because of the authority that was coming out of his mouth. I mean, I've seen a couple things, but man, I've never seen anything like what Jesus was doing. You know, but do you know what? I'm, I'm not any better than any of these people. But I, I'm resting. I am resting. I have rest today. You have rest today. You have rest today. Why? Because of God and his heart towards you. God's heart is towards you today. Talking about the Savior's heart. God's heart is towards you today. Respond to that. Don't think about your obedience or your disobedience. I mean, honestly, that will come in time as you draw near to the Father. Draw near to God. Draw near to Him. He loves you. He is thinking about you. He is orchestrating things. Don't ignore, you know, we call these things coincidences or happenstance. No. They're God moments, right, Gary? I love you, you. I love that word. They're God moments. You know, Megan. <laughs> you know, Meg, how Megan found our church. You know, ask Megan and David Cross how. <laughs> Funny story, you know. I mean, it's amazing. That's not an accident. That's not a happenstance. That is God moving in their lives and bringing them into a place where they are depending on the love. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this this afternoon. We thank you. We've heard two messages, you know, Boyettes with the with the communion and this message here. And we ask that you would open our eyes, open our eyes, God. We want to. I mean, we are we are seeing you, but let us not ignore what we are seeing. And Lord, we are so thankful that we cannot look at ourselves and and look and, and begin to count the times that we have sinned and begin to look at our weaknesses and saying, I wish I was a little bit more and fill in the blank. But we can actually look and we can say that despite my entire being, that God's heart is pure. And because of his purity, he has the authority to express his love towards us. We just thank you, Lord, and we pray we pray, Lord, that you will help reveal that to us. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.